You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Uh, this is Father Scholl, and I want to continue our um, reflections on the Republic as part of our um, introduction to political philosophy. And here I want to talk about books 8 and 9 of the Republic, which will leave us uh, one more uh, chapter, one more session with book 10. Now with book 8 and 9, we take up the theme that was begun at the end of book 4 and the very beginning of book 5, namely the order of decline from the best state, so the order of best date, next best date, next, so forth, down to the worst. The intelligibility of a thing consists in seeing its proper order. Remember the Platonic theme that if you want to understand something, you must not only understand its perfection, but uh, what is opposite to that perfection and why. In Book 4, it looked as if we found the definition of justice, namely each part doing what was its proper purpose within uh, its uh, contribution to the whole, the understanding of which whole belonged to the ruling principle, uh, in this case the philosopher. In Book 2, Edimantos and Glaucon, Plato's brothers, have wanted to hear justice praised for its own sake. They uh, could state the argument against it very well, as Socrates complimented it, them. But remember, the arguments against it, or the incomplete arguments for it, are part of the intellectual understanding of the uh, virtue itself. Someone had asked about why Thrasymachus had ceased his argument with Socrates at the end of Book 1. It is because his arguments were untenable, as the burden of Book 1 showed. The purpose of Book 1 is to show, in two steps really, why. That is, rule is for the object ruled and not for the ruler. And secondly, you cannot be maximally unjust without, at the same time, uh, being just in some sense to carry out your purpose. So the band of robbers have to be uh, just towards each other to carry out uh, something more than what an individual could do. In book four, we still have families and the guardians still have families and poor housing quarters with a few rewards uh, for ruling. And this is just the opposite of what most cities do or most people think ought to be done. Again, recall the city and man here, so the parallel between the two. We talked in Book 4 as if uh, we had completed the description of the city. We said that we uh, would classify both the city uh, that we described and the man who is like it, who lives in it, the citizen, and they're both good, even though, as it seems, we had still a finer city and a finer man to tell uh, to talk about. 
He is the, this is the so-called longer road, road that was mentioned in Book 5 that we hadn't completed yet. But in any case, we said that if this city was to uh, was the right one, the others were faulty in some sense. We said, if I remember, that uh, there were four types of constitutions remaining uh, that are worth discussing, each with faults uh, that should uh, we should observe. Uh, we should uh, do the same uh, for the people or the citizens who are like the regime. So the city writ large, uh, which we saw in Book 2, and the city writ small, which becomes in Book 4 uh, the reflection of the city in our own soul. George Will has a phrase called soul craft is statecraft, um, which epitomizes this idea. It's a very uh, useful expression. Soul craft, what goes on in our soul, is statecraft, what goes on in our polity. Our aim was to observe them, uh, them all, both state and soul, and agree which man is best and which most wretched, or whether it's the other way around. That is, a, uh, does, is the best man in the, in the worst state uh, the tyrant being the happiest man, or is the best man in the best state the philosopher being someone who has very little goods of his own? It was here where Polemarchus and Adimantus broke into uh, to broke into recall the previously mentioned community of wives, children, as in Book Five, wives, children, and property. Thus, it seems that there is a best state and a very best state, the best existing state and the best state in theory. It is the question of the location of the best state that is most uh, the most intriguing thing about the Republic. It does seem that there is something about human nature that is not uh, precisely of this world. And if so, what does this tell us about the kind of life we live in existing cities, our political life, in other words? The declination of the policies follows the declina declination of the virtues uh, or uh, possible ends of happiness as described by Aristotle in Book One of the Ethics. That remember, say, uh, it was honor or um, wealth or um, pleasure. The sequence goes first a democracy in which the primacy is of honor. The next declination is oligarchy, where the primacy is of money. The third declination is democracy, where the primacy is unbridled liberty. And finally, number four, the tyranny, where one man rules all for his own private glory or ends. All of these de declinations are cast in the terms, uh, picturesque terms in the Republic, of a couple, of a ruling couple, uh, a king and a queen, husband and wife, and their, and their offspring, their child, their successor. Regime reflects the souls of the members. So, and do you re and so he says in 5544D, he says, and do you realize 
that of necessity. There are as many forms of human character as there are of constitution, he says at the end of the quote. All declinations from uh, the good uh, follow an order and are caused by the result uh, or caused by a result in civil war because a lack of unity in the ruling principle exists. Remember that in the city we built in speech, the philosopher king ruled over willing uh, subjects, not forced subjects. There is an oft-asked question about why, if we have established it, uh, the good regime ever declines. Uh, to this, Socrates simply says, all things change. So 546a, he says, everything that comes into being must change. The reason why the first declination from the good takes place is because the king, who is a good soldier and a good man, uh, does not get the honor his wife and child think that he deserves. Remember what we said about honor. Honor is uh, not something uh, we can give to ourselves. And so the declination is to expect that people will honor us and uh, that uh, that becomes more important than the proper object of philosophy or the good for its own sake, in which uh, it uh, included uh, the order of uh, parts of the whole in the city uh, in speech, so that therefore the ruler doesn't rule for honor. He gets honor because he deserves it, but he doesn't rule for that. He rules for the good. The child of the democratic man, the man who rules for honor, is the oligarchical man, the man who thinks happiness and the polity are ruled by wealth. Wealth is good, but it is uh, further from the good than honor. Wealth also makes the child of the democratic man uh, look to luxury and to uh, riches, and he becomes soft. Uh, note uh, the reference to the iron and bronze, gold and silver man uh, at uh, uh, 547b, recalling the myth of the metals in book 5, in book 3 rather. Society declines from free to enslaved. Consider the passage uh, from uh, about the democratic man's soul which is 548b. Such people will desire money, uh, just as those in oligarchies do, uh, passionately adoring gold and silver in secret. They will possess private treasures and storehouses where they can keep it hidden and have houses to enclose them like private nests where they can spend lavishly either on women or on anything they wish. Uh, they will be uh, mean with their uh, money uh, since they value it and are not uh, allowed uh, to acquire it openly. But they will love to spend other people's money because of their appetites. They will enjoy their pleasures in secret, running away from the law 
like boys from their uh, father. But since they have neglected the true muse, that of discussion and philosophy, and have valued physical training more than music or poetry, they haven't been educated by persuasion, but by force. The end of the quote. And is it not that because he lacks uh, the best guardians, uh, what guardians is that? Adimantus says. And the reason for it is the lacks the best guardians. What are the best guardians? And the answer is in 549b, reason, I, uh, I said, mixed with music and poetry, for it alone uh, dwells uh, with the person who possesses it as uh, the life, uh, as a lifelong preserve of his virtues. So what preserves our virtue is our understanding of what they are. This is a theme that will appear in Aristotle in different ways. It is uh, a good music and poetry that can render the democratic man open to philosophy without himself being a philosopher. Gradually, reason is replaced by force as the virtues and regimes decline. There are insatiable desires for wealth. It's 555b. Uh, the description of the pursuit of money uh, in an oligarchy is very interesting in 556a uh, and b. But be alert. What happens? The rich man is plump, and the young men who have no wealth are lean and hungry. As he says, um, or rather, is it not often uh, the case that a poor man, lean and, and suntan, uh, stands in the um, in battle next to a rich man, reared in the shade and carrying a lot of excess flesh, uh, and, and he sees him uh, panting and at a loss. Uh, do you think that he would consider that it is uh, through the cowardice of a poor of the poor, that such people are rich, and that uh, one poor man would say to another, uh, which, um, uh, when they uh, meet in private, these people are at our mercy. Uh, they are good for nothing, the end of the quote. This is the classic scenario and justification for the democratic man taking over the oligarchical man. What follows next is the classic discussion on the soul of the democratic man. This is the description of Athens, where Socrates, in fact, lived. <clears throat> in Athens, the fool and the philosopher had the same look. No one could tell them apart because there was nothing uh, to distinguish them uh, other than uh, what, they, what they held. So the philosopher looked like a fool, and the fool looked like a philosopher. And this is why the philosopher looks so odd in the city, as we saw in Book 6. As it says in 557b and c, first of all, are they not free, and is not a city full of freedoms and freedom of speech, as is the democratic city? 
And does not everyone in it have the license to do what he wants? And when people have this license, it is clear that each one of them will arrange his own life in whatever manner he pleases. I suppose it's not, uh, it's most of all under this democratic constitution that one finds people of all varieties. Then it looks as though this is the uh, finest and most beautiful of the constitutions more like a coat embroidered with every kind of ornament. This city uh, is imported with every kind of character type, uh, and it would seem to be the most beautiful. And many people would probably judge it so, as women and children, uh, when they see something multicolored, the end of the quote. So the argument is that the very variety of good and bad is a good thing. Uh, this is a famous passage then, uh, the comparison of a democracy to a multicultural quote. The intellectual mark of a democracy is that there is no truth. Liberty or freedom means that there is no judgment of good and bad, only uh, uh, a variety. And all the forms are here. All the characters, good and bad, even Socrates, are in this city. There is no principle of excellence about who rules in 557e. Uh, you can um, uh, uh, serve in any job. No preparation for public life is needed in 558a. This is the origin of the Jacksonian theory of democracy in American tradition. The description of the soul of the democratic man in 560b uh, following is classic. Here is described how the democratic man succeeds the oligarchical man, and the description of the soul of the democratic man who has no internal principle of order and who has uh, random freedom to do whatever he wants is described most amusingly. In 560b it says, quote, And seeing the citadel of the young man's soul empty of knowledge, fine ways of living and words of truth, uh, which are the best watchmen and guardians of the thoughts of those men whom uh, the gods love, they finally occupy that citadel themselves, that is to say, they replace all of the noble things in his soul. And the best watchmen and guardians of the soul are first knowledge, and second, fine ways of living, and third, the words of truth. So these are the things that uh, support uh, the best man, the soul. And this is what happens to the soul of the young man when no other principle of internal self-rule than uh, whatever he wills, uh, as it turns out uh, later in the chapter, he has nothing to say uh, to the sleek, stronger young man also who has no principles, but who wants to rule the tyrant who arises out of the democracy. 
as he says in 561b uh, to d, he says, and he, the democratic young man, does not uh, admit any word of truth into the guardhouse of his mind. For if someone tells him uh, that some uh, pleasures belong to fine and good desires and others to evil ones, and that he must pursue and value the former and restrain and enslave the latter, <clears throat> he denies all this and declares that all pleasures are equal and must be uh, valued equally. So this again recalls uh, uh, what Aristotle says. And so he lives on, yielding uh, day, by day, day by day to the desires at hand. Sometimes he drinks heavily while listening to the flute. At other times he drinks only water and is on a diet. And sometimes he goes in for physical training. At other times he's idle and neglects everything. And sometimes he even occupies himself with what he takes to be philosophy. He often engages in politics, leaping up from his seat and saying and doing whatever comes into his mind. If he happens to admire uh, soldiers, he, uh, he uh, is carried away in that direction. If money makers uh, he admires, he goes in that direction. There's neither uh, order uh, nor necessity in his life, but he calls it pleasant, free, and blessedly happy, and he follows it for as long as he lives. The end of the uh, quote. Few more devastating or amusing passages have ever been written describing the disordered soul of a young man with no real principle but uh, that of doing whatever he wants. Next, we see how the democratic man leads to the tyrannical man. We will be concerned with the soul of the tyrant and whether he is uh, supremely happy. Remember that the young uh, potential philosopher had wanted to know if the tyrant was the supremely happy man, as many thought. That was the myth, the myth of Gyges, the if he's invisible, he would do whatever he wants. Or better, they wanted to know why he was not the best man. In other words, if you could be a tyrant, would you be happy? And if not, why not? The answer uh, has to uh, be uh, an internal uh, dead-end street uh, to fulfill the requirements of the uh, potential philosophers to know why no one would choose it. So that's what Socrates is teaching them in books 8 and 9. Socrates even thinks that dogs in a democracy uh, are undisciplined in 564c. Have you ever seen, uh, been to a house where the dogs have freed one of the guests? In a democracy, with this spirit, a father uh, accustoms himself to behave like a child and uh, fear his sons, while the son behaves like a father, feeling neither shame nor fear 
in front of his parents in order to be free. A resident alien uh, or a foreign visiting visitor is made equal to a citizen, and he is their equal, and so do others, other little things of the same sort. A teacher uh, in such a community is afraid of his students and flatters them, while the students uh, despise the teachers or tutors. And in general, the young uh, imitate their elders and uh, uh, compete with them uh, in word and in deed, uh, while the old stoop uh, to the level of the young and are full of play and uh, pleasantry, uh, imitating the young uh, for fear of appearing uh, disagreeable and authoritarian, the end of the quote. And he says in 563b, he said, And I almost forgot to mention uh, the extent of the legal equality of men and women and the freedom of their relations between them, the end of the quote. Note three classes in a democracy, uh, 564b. First, the drones, uh, this class of wildlers. Second, those who work and become rich uh, and from whom uh, the uh, support for the drones must come. And three, the farmers and others who are the majority. The drones in a democracy are fierce. Uh, those who live on the, uh, are those who live on the public funds, in a quote. In 564D, there are clashes between rich and poor and drones. They war with each other. This is in 565C, he says. And then there are uh, impeachments and judgments and trials on both sides. Now are, are not the people always in the habit of seeing, of setting up one man as their special champion, nurturing him and making him great. And it is clear that when the tyrant rises, this uh, special leadership is uh, uh, the sole root uh, from which he sprouts. In quote 568c. Evidently, this leader of the people is uh, the one who becomes the tyrant in 565d. His soul uh, turns. Quote in 565e, he says, a leader of the people uh, dominates a docile mob and does not restrain himself from spilling uh, kindred blood. He brings uh, some to trial on false charges uh, and murders them as tyrants often do, and by this blotting out a human life is uh, infamously um, acquires the uh, blood of citizens. He banishes some, he kills others, he drops hints to the people about the cancellation of debts and the redistribution of land. Uh, and because of these things is not a man like that, inevitably fated either to be killed 
by his enemies or to be transformed from a man into a wolf by becoming a tyrant. Then the quote. He stirs up civil wars against the rich. And he says in 566, he says, during the first days of his reign and for some time after, will he not uh, smile in welcome at anyone he meets, saying that he's the no tyrant and making all sorts of promises, both in public and in private, of freeing the people from debt, redistributing, uh, redistributing the land to them and to his followers, and uh, pretending to be gracious and gentle to all. So his description of how the tyrant appears uh, to the people. Needless to say, this sort of account has happened repeatedly in subsequent history. The man, however, alienates the people also and must have his own uh, bodyguard. That's 567D. The final burden is to describe how tyranny comes from democracy in 569b. The burden of Book 9 is to explain what goes on in the soul of the tyrant who rises out of the democratic freedom. This tyrant is young and handsome, clever, gifted, or guided by no principle, but his own shrewdness of how to keep and expand his power. Uh, but Book 9 is also addressed to the question of whether the tyrant is happy. We saw in Book 1 that many thought that the ability to rule with unlimited power would make us happy. Edimandis and Glaucon are looking on as they want to know if uh, justice and good are worthy uh, for their own sake, even if they do not achieve the rule uh, because of it. It turns out that the tyrant cannot trust anyone. He surrounds himself with women and people who will tell him, uh, will not tell him the truth. He has no real friends. He trusts no one. He has no form of, uh, had to form a bodyguard to protect himself. And this is the logical conclusion of the view that justice and power are the same, same thing. Socrates asked the young men whether they would, uh, whether they would want to live this way. And they see in the end of Book 9, now from argument, not just from feeling, uh, that there is no real alternative to living uh, reasonably and virtuously to achieve what is good. It is at this point, at the end of Book 9, that the immortality of the soul is brought back in. As we will uh, see in uh, Book 10, uh, this doctrine is the result of the fact that true justice cannot exist in any uh, existing city, uh, but in the one that we are developing in speech or in mind. The fact is, all existing cities are manifestations of the fact that uh, not all virtues are rewarded or all vices published, punished in this world. The reason why the soul is immortal thus rises for Plato from a political 
analysis of existing cities from this world. If there is no immortality and judgment, then the world is created in injustice in principle. And if this is the case, uh, there is no punishment uh, for doing evil or reward for virtue. If this is the case, uh, we can do what we want, as nothing we do makes any difference. What Book 10 has to do is to bring back uh, the issue of rewards and punishment uh, that we set aside in Book 2. Only now we have to keep in mind uh, that we are in practice, we are to practice justice for its own sake, not for rewards and punishments. And thus, until uh, we uh, cleared the issue about what happens to someone who is maximally unjust, the tyrant, uh, we could not face the import of the uh, contemplative order uh, that included immortality. To, uh, in a Christian context of Augustine or Aquinas, uh, this will include uh, the resurrection of the body, as we argue in my book, Roman Catholic Political Philosophy. Uh, but uh, Plato sets us in the right path uh, to consider these questions, as we will see in Book 10. So the next discussion will be that of Book 10. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.